All right, well, we're already recording. So, um, and, 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 <laughs> so, and for those of you listening, um, look, if you listen to this show regularly, you know that I typically handle the introduction part. And I think, I'm thinking Brian might feel maybe a little left out that in, in that <laughs> regard. So in the spirit of today's topic, I'm going to let him do the lead-in. What do you think of that, Brian? John, you, you are the epitome of today's forever skill yes, topic empathy. I <laughs> and I have to say, uh, well, first of all, thank you for that. But we have a fantastic guest with us to talk about this, and that's Dr. Jamil Zaki. Hi, Jamil, and uh, thank you for coming on and doing this with us. I'm thrilled to be here. All right, so so just just so all of you know, we did ask Jamil if we should call him Dr. Zaki or Professor Zaki, and he gave us the green light to call him Jamil. So Jamil, we're going with Jamil for the rest of this, and we appreciate uh, your flexibility in that. But l- let me give a little bit of a background um, about Jamil before we get into this. He's a professor of psychology at Stanford University, and he's the director of the Stanford Social Neuroscience Lab, where he uses tools from psychology and neuroscience, and he and his colleagues examine how empathy actually works and how people can learn to empathize more effectively. His writing on this topic has appeared all over the New York Times, the Washington Post, the New Yorker, and the Atlantic. And on top of all that, he's also the author of the book, The War of for kindness, building empathy in a fractured world, uh, which I'll tell you, we're we're adding to our Audible library, so so you'll definitely have to check that out. But Jamil, let's start with a simple question. Um, I I gave this big introduction, but I, I think, you know, there's a question that's out there that I think might have a pretty complex answer, and that is, what exactly is empathy? Yeah, well, thanks, Brian, for starting us here. Any conversation about empathy has to start with a definition because over the course of my career, I can tell you honestly that I have heard thousands of people (laughs) confidently tell me what empathy is all while disagreeing with one another. So let's get some common ground here. Perfect. Um, I think some of the the confusion uh, to me comes from the fact that as researchers and scientists see it, empathy isn't one thing at all. It's an umbrella term that describes at least three ways that we connect with other people's emotions. Uh, Brian, let me give you an example. Let's say that you were to run into John, but instead of being uh, happy and uh, and and plucky as he is on this Monday, he was clearly <laughs> distraught and crying. Well, we, we don't want that to happen, but if, if it were to happen, Brian, as you see John cry, a bunch of things might happen in you. First, you might feel bad yourself. Uh, vicariously catching John's feeling, which we would call emotional empathy. Second, you might try to figure out what is going on with John. What is he feeling and why? That detective work is something that we would call cognitive empathy. And third, at least if you're a good friend, which I imagine you are, you probably would wish for John to feel better and maybe think about how you might help him. That desire to improve someone else's well-being is what we call compassion. And it's these three pieces Uh, sharing what other people feel, trying to understand what they feel, and caring about their emotions that together make up the full range of human empathy. Well, oh, I love that. I oh, do too. Love <laughs> I, I love that. But I, I actually, it leads me though to a curiosity. I mean, inherently, of the three that you mentioned, um, emotional um, empathy, cognitive empathy, and compassion, 
is there any one of them that is actually more dominant in sort of the the human race that is probably one that shows up more times than others? It's, that's a really interesting question. I would start uh, outside of the human race, if you don't mind, sure. I, because I would say that emotional empathy is by far the most ancient of the forms of empathy that we have. So you see a sort of resonance, especially like if you see one animal in pain, you'll often see another animal acting as though they're in pain. And that type of uh, really what we could call primitive empathy is not just around in humans, it's also around in uh, monkeys and great apes and dolphins, in mice, rats, even some birds have this type of empathy. And that's just the animals that we've measured. And emotional empathy, I don't know if it's dominant, but it would also come online earliest among human beings. So for instance, newborn babies can experience some emotional empathy. Cognitive empathy and compassion are a little bit more unique to human beings, and they take longer in our lives to pop up. Uh, a kid will sort of take until they're three or four to realize that your version of the world is different from theirs. And, and likewise, compassion, this desire to help uh, other people, it's not uniquely human, but it's absolutely developed more in in people than in any other species. Despite what you might read in the news, we are the world champions of those types of empathy. I mean, I guess one way of thinking about it is that especially cognitive empathy and compassion are a way of combining an ancient capacity to connect emotionally with the fundamentally human capacity for imagination to stretch ourselves beyond the here and now, beyond our own point of view, and and, and enter into other people's versions of the world. Yeah, so Jamil, we 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 um we call this podcast Forever Skills. So we're obviously considering empathy uh, a skill that we're always going to need. And when we call something a skill, one of the things that that means to us is it's something that all of us need to focus on just getting better at because it will help us in our jobs and our careers. And, and, and look, this, this point of view, it's, it's nothing new. I mean, a lot of, a lot of business leaders out there, they talk about the importance of empathy. I mean, marketers will talk about how important it is to have empathy for your customers, because that's the only way you can develop products or messaging that's going to connect to them. Human resource executives will talk about having empathy for candidates to create a better experience in this list, I mean, it just goes on and on. But I'd love to hear your take on this. I mean, do you consider empathy a skill that we should all be focusing on at work, so to speak? And 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 if so, why? Yeah, I, I mean, I love that you take that perspective on empathy. I don't think everybody does. I think a lot of leaders, especially these days, are talking a lot about the importance of empathy, but they do so in a way that that I think often misses the mark. <laughs> Sometimes people say, yeah, it's important to be empathic, so I'm only going to hire really empathic people, <laughs> as though empathy is just a trait, like something that you either <laughs> have or you don't. Some people are empathic, other people are psychopaths, and then there's, you know, <laughs> all, 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 you know, all sorts of others in between. And, and it's true that some people are born more empathic than others, but it turns out that research from my lab and tons of other labs at this point has found pretty definitively that our experiences fundamentally change how we empathize. Some experiences can cause our empathy to weaken and atrophy, and others can cause it to strengthen and grow. And crucially, that means that through the right habits and practices, we can build our empathy on purpose the same way you would work out a muscle. Hmm. 
in, in fact, my lab and I, we often talk about the work that we do as building empathy gyms for people, places that they can go to work out their capacity for care and understanding if they want to. You asked why we should, and there's a big answer to that as well, which is that empathy helps everybody involved. A second stereotype about empathy that I see from a lot of leaders in companies and elsewhere is that it's something we do for other people that will, you know, maybe make no difference to us or maybe drain us. It turns out, though, that empathy helps the people who feel it as well. Empathic individuals tend to be less stressed and depressed. They have an easier time uh, forming and keeping important relationships in their lives. And yes, they also excel professionally if their work has to do with people. But whose work doesn't have to do with people? Right. Well, I think it's kind of interesting in the fact that, you know, today especially, um, you know, as, as we look at sort of the empathetic um, approach to things, we we it also ties very closely to what people call authentic. So people mm -hmm. will tend to, especially from the brand and the marketing component to this, Jamil, people will tend to say, if you don't have an empathetic approach, you also might not be viewed as authentic because in order for you to really be authentic, you have to have empathy. As, absolutely. And, and I think that's so critical for... Um, for companies to think of as well, because it turns out that that sense of authenticity and what I would call received empathy is one of the core things that makes work work, right? So there's now decades mm -hmm. of evidence demonstrating that empathy is sort of a workplace superpower. It um, it makes, you know, when people believe that their organization is empathic, they have greater morale. They're more loyal to that organization. They're more resilient during times of stress. But it's not just that they feel good which they do when, when their company is empathic, people work more effectively and efficiently. For instance, they're more willing to share knowledge with their colleagues, making collaborations uh, much more powerful. And they're more willing to, um, to take creative risks because to your point, Brian, they feel that they can be authentic and sort of uh, express themselves without, uh, without being stepped on. Um, I, I feel like Empathy in organizations has always been important, mm -hmm. but my goodness, over the last two years, it's become mission critical <laughs> during sure. this great resignation. Yeah. There was a uh, some survey data that came out from EY uh, from uh, over a thousand people who had left their jobs, and more than half of them said that a lack of empathy from leadership was part of the reason why. I, I once asked a dentist friend of mine, I said, hey, how important is flossing really? And he said, oh, not that important. You only have to floss the teeth that you want to keep. <laughs> I, I, I think of empathy as the same way these days. You know, leaders ask me, do I really need to invest in empathy? I'm like, no, not really. You only have to empathize with the people you want to keep. That's a great. That's a great way. That's to a really but you know, we, and 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 it's interesting because you're talking about like the empathy gym, which I love, by the way. That idea of like an empathy gym and and companies that you know um, believe they're empathetic. But when we're talking about these skills, and when it comes to a lot of skills, Jamil, especially these soft skills, right, the ones that we focus on here on on this on this podcast, I think a lot of us we read about them or we hear hear about them, and we just think, yep, that's 
you know, that's definitely me. I, I'm, I'm that, right? And like, in other words, I might hear all this and be like, yeah, I'm empathetic. And in the meantime, Brian's, you know, I can't see him. So he might be rolling his eyes. Like, yeah, sure you are. <laughs> never, right. never, right. never, but never, he, never. But, but the, the point is, I, I might not be empathetic, even though I think I am. And if I'm mm. not, I want to know that that's a hole in my game and something that I need to focus on and I need to build, especially because it's important. I mean, you called it a superpower. So I want to know if I'm empathetic. So I'm curious to know if there are any ways for for all of us to know if we're empathetic. How do we know? Yeah, John, it, it's such an important question. And and again, I, and I, I'm not here to name any names, but I've talked to so many leaders. Name names, tell, we love that. Yeah, we love names. <laughs> names, names are good. We too, want people too, to too come many right NDAs. after us. <laughs> <laughs> right. too, too, too many NDAs in my life to to deal with that. But um, but I, I, no, I've 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 talked to so many leaders who tell me, yeah, you know, our company walks the talk when it comes to empathy. Mm. And then I'll I'll walk around their offices and ask their sure. employees and you get very different opinions. I think that there's this real desire among leadership in lots of organizations to become more empathic, right? And, and there should be, because at this point, as we've been talking about, the evidence is uncontroversial that that's helpful to basically everyone involved. But it, there's the devil is in the details. How do we take a big principle like empathy and actually make it feel real for other people? A lot of the times we fail and don't realize that we're failing. There's a couple of ways that you can probe to see if you are actually connecting with other people, but it, it takes some bravery, right? Because at the end of the day, you are not the authority on whether you are empathic. Empathy right. is a connection right. between people. Right. So you need to know from them if if uh, if they feel like you're being empathic. If 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 anyone listening is in leadership and wants to know that from their teams, I, I would strongly encourage them to survey folks, but to do so anonymously, to to allow people to safely express their perspective and to be ready to grow and learn from what you hear. In in essence, I think that empathy doesn't begin with an answer, but with a question, uh, a question of our people, and maybe a, a bunch of questions about how they're doing and what we could be doing for them more effectively. So Jamil, give us an example of that. So, so as a leader in this business who wants to have a conversation, I mean, clearly they're not gonna have a, a survey question that goes out there and it says, you know, do you think I'm empathetic? Um, like, <laughs> what 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 are things that they could be asking of their team that would give them some visibility into that? Or or even Brian, even what an employee could ask of themselves of another employee. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I mean, so first of all, no, it would be quite awkward to say, do you, how empathic do you think I am on a scale of what I, your boss, am and on a scale of one to five? But you can absolutely ask people, do you feel as though you're cared for in this organization? Do you feel seen? Do you feel as though people really know who you are and that your priorities and needs are taken into account? These are questions that are asked all the time. Uh, by scientists that that correlate with how long people stay in their companies and how well they do at them. So, so that type of question is, I think, totally above board. Uh, one principle that I often tell people to work on is um, is what I call perspective getting. So you all might have heard of perspective taking, where you imagine what someone else's world might be like. You think, well, how would I feel if I was walking a mile in their shoes, right? And perspective taking is well-intentioned and sometimes it can work, but it is far from perfect. And oftentimes leaders 
engage in this kind of armchair perspective taking, armchair philosophizing, where they say, well, if I was one of my employees, what I would want is a no email Friday and or, you know, or another snack bar or something like that. And first of all, no email Fridays and snack bars sound great to me. So if, if anyone's listening, I would like both of those things. <laughs> but um, but, you know, they, they will then say, I've I've empathized. I'm rolling out a new policy. No email Fridays and with without asking people if that's what they actually need or want. So instead of perspective taking, I encourage people to engage in perspective getting, which is actively asking people around the organization, what do you need? What are you going through right now? What would matter to you? What would make you feel as though you're cared for? Now, you the, the one thing is you don't want to ask those questions if you're not prepared to do something about it. Yeah. And John, it's interesting because that sort of ties back, I mean, indirectly to sort of the whole curiosity piece, yeah. right? That asking of those questions um, is, and Jamil, that's one of the other forever skills that we've talked about is sort of that curiosity component and being able to be openly curious um, with the folks that, that you work with to sort of get that. I love, um, you know, the question, you know, do you feel seen? Um, mm. I think that's really powerful yeah. because I think that's an important component to this. In order to be seen, you also have to be heard and you have to be, you know, there's all of those components to to that. So so I love that. But Jimmy, let's get into the how piece to this. So we get mm. this feedback as a leader in the business, right? I get this survey, you know, I, I do my survey, I'm I, you know, I ask the all the right questions. How do we become more empathetic? What are some of the things that people can do um, based on the feedback they receive in order to, to improve on this? Yeah, well, I, I mean, this is something that I think about all the time uh, because that this is, has become a big part of my work is helping organizations try to put the science of empathy into their DNA. And again, the idea here is that we Many leaders want this. They, they, they have empathy as a corporate value. The question is, how do we make it real on the ground? And to me, the way that that is most effectively done is not through a, a few grand gestures, but through everyday practices and habits. I want to, again, go back to this analogy of a muscle. Um, and you can think of empathy as a sort of psychological fitness. Well, you don't get fit by getting off your couch after sitting there for a year and just trying to run a marathon. First of all, your shins would explode. <laughs> and second, um, you wouldn't be able to do it. Instead, you run you know, a mile, then a mile and a half. You, you just try to make it into a practice. So I've created a whole set of techniques um, that I call the empathy gym for people to practice uh, every day if they can. And, and, and there are different techniques. So one, um, and I'll just give you a few of them um, that, that I use. One is, uh, is, is the practice of self-compassion because it turns out that it's very difficult to connect with other people and be there for other people if you are completely burnt out yourself. I, I, I use the analogy of you know, when you get on a plane and, and they say, if the cabin depressurizes, an oxygen mask will fall from the ceiling. Put yours on before you put someone else's on because you can't help someone else if you're suffocating. That's true of air and it's true of emotion as well. So I, 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 I have uh, some sort of self-compassion exercises that people can do. Another is um, to turn giving into a daily habit. So I ask people to to give, you know, it doesn't have to be mo monetary resources. You can give time or energy to somebody else 
in the organization as often as they can. Not a grand gesture. Again, you don't have to spend four hours helping someone. Spend five minutes doing something for someone each day. And, and a third is what I call being a, a culture builder. So the idea here is that people adopt the behaviors and attitudes that they think are popular mm -hmm. in their group, in their organization. And so one mistake that I see leaders make a lot is that they talk about how much they, how great empathy is and, and how much they want it in the organization. But then you see the people who they reward or praise, and it's strong individual contributors, even if those people are toxic colleagues. I encourage leaders to really make empathy loud by regularly celebrating ways that people show up for one another on the job. So those are just a few of the techniques that, that I've been trying to pioneer here. But again, the core message from my perspective is you don't do big things once, you do little things all mm -hmm. the time. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and there were actually, you know, as we were prepping for this conversation, there were two things um, that I read that you had said um, that, that I think are worth repeating to this audience. Uh, the first one was, point your curiosity at people who anger you, even though mm. ignoring them is easier. I thought that was like a really interesting, um, a, a really interesting component because I think it, it's it's the difficult conversations that are the ones that are most worthy, and the ones that are you know the ones that we all try to avoid. But you learn the most from them, and so I think having those conversations, you know, with people that you know could anger you, I, I think is an interesting one. And then the other thing that you had said, which I, I thought was really interesting, was think of building empathy as a way to take care of your social health. And I think that's mm. a really important comment, especially in today's world, because our social beings mm. sometimes take over. And I think we really have to be aware of sort of the health of, of what that looks like for each of us, because it's different for all of us. But I think it's a really important piece. Well, let me take those one at a time. So absolutely, you know, another uh, so I, I teach a class on on empathy and kindness at Stanford, and I ask my students to do these challenges these every weekend to, to try to stretch themselves somehow in terms of their empathy. And one of my favorite ones is called Disagreeing Better, yeah. where I ask students to find someone they really disagree with about something that's not a small issue and to talk with that person. But instead of just sniping at each other about their opinions, I ask folks to share stories ask this person, how did you come to have this opinion in the first place? And maybe share your story with them. It turns out that, especially I think in our social media age, we tend to have this reflex where we pounce on people <laughs> or avoid them if they're different from yep. us in basically any way. Um, and and it's, that's a real waste because it turns out that when we connect uh, through our stories and when we really try to, as you put it, uh, be curious about people who might anger us, we don't just find common ground and realize that we get along. We do, uh, that, that happens as well. But often we're able to find surprising points of contact, uh, pieces in a negotiation that work for everyone that we never would have discovered yeah. otherwise. Or we're able to be more compelling advocates for our own position. It turns out that one of the best things you can do to persuade someone else, to get them to listen to you, is to listen to them first. So these conversations, these empathic conversations across difference, 
can make any culture feel more inclusive and connected and can also help us be better advocates for what we care about. You know, to your second point about social health, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I really feel that our social health as a culture is bad right now. I think it's flagging. I, I feel that during the pandemic, so many of us were isolated that we, uh, you know, we sort of lost our habits of mind that allow us to connect with one another. Our empathy muscles became much weaker, I think, during the pandemic. And I think that's hurting us in a lot of ways. People are people through each other. We are not islands. We are, we are fundamentally connected to one another. And when we lose that connection, we languish. We become lonelier, but also less physically healthy and less mentally healthy. I, I think it's so critical that as we move, hopefully soon, beyond the pandemic and come back together, that we focus on human connection because it, without doing that actively, I think we'll continue to, to, to suffer more than we need to. Well, I, I want to just add one other thing here because I th I found this fascinating too. You covered two of sort of the five exercises as part of the, the process that you teach. If you could, one of the other ones that really stood out to me and, and aligning with sort of that topic around our social well-beings, you had mentioned use technology connect to connect, not just to click and comment. Could you just talk for a minute about that? Because this one was one that I was like, it, it was kind of like one of those aha moments for you because we all do the click and comment, right? But we don't really give a lot of thought to that connection. So can you talk about that just a little bit? A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I'm old enough to remember, you know, <laughs> Wired Magazine in 2010, <laughs> sort of talking a, a, a lot about how the internet and social media platforms were going to be this kind of global community that would be humanity's greatest empathic opportunity of all time. I think it's pretty clear, at least to most people, that uh, that promise has not been fulfilled. And people ask me all the time, is social media the culprit of lower empathy these days compared to in previous generations. Uh, and I say yes and no. I, I, th I think that there is potential for the internet and, and life online to be highly connected. I just think that we're not using it in a way that helps that happen. And, and I don't wanna put the blame on us. I think that these platforms are often not structured in a way that, make that, that, that ma makes that easy. So research finds that, that being online can make us highly disconnected, highly unempathic when we are passive. So when we, I don't know, doom scroll or just like spend hours uh, sort of uh, just, um, you know, lurking online or when we, uh, when we publicly engage with other people, especially in outrage, which is one of the most uh, popular emotions <laughs> on Twitter, at least. By contrast, Social media technologies can build our connection and make us more empathic when we engage directly with people, uh, for instance, through direct messages, especially if we're reaching out to people who we also know in some other part of our life and, and use social media to keep connections alive that would disappear otherwise. So I often encourage people to do a couple of things. One, uh, when you're on social media, do an internal audit. Ask yourself, am I getting what I want to out of this experience? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that might make you put your phone away. But second, if you're going to be on there, consider each day that you're online trying to send a note to somebody or connect one-on-one -on -one with somebody maybe who you haven't talked with in a while, maybe someone who's struggling. And I think in it, it, used in that way, technology can be 
what it was always promised to be uh, at first. Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic because you never know in today's world what someone's going through. Mm-hmm. And I think just that connection and, and being more than just a click and a comment, but really using that as a potential tool to make that connection and reach out to someone that might need that contact. I agree with you. I think that's that's what technology and where the value of technology comes in. Well, Jamil, this has been fantastic. I really mm-hmm. appreciate you doing with this with us. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. Thanks to both of you for having me. So everyone, there you have it. Uh, Some tips on how to become more empathetic and why it's so important. Like I said, we'll add Jamil's book to the Audible library. And John, maybe we can even add the uh, TED Talk link um, in the description of this episode. Yeah, for sure. Great. Well, uh, okay, everybody. I, I appreciate everybody listening. We'll be back with another episode soon.